Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Imago Day, where we're learning to see the image of God in everyone, everywhere. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I think we've always tried to walk because I mean, we have a beautiful neighborhood and it's safe walking, so, um, but became definitely more intentional with COVID. Um, when all of this started, I was faced with um, having to leave my 42 year of bedside nursing career because of my lung issue. And um, so I went from being very hands-on with people in crisis situations, taking care of people after open heart surgery or big lung cases or big bachelor cases to pretty much being home. Fortunately, it was getting to be springtime, so we um, decided, hey, we can go for walks, we can be outside, enjoy the fresh air. And we noticed that as we were walking, the same um, streets, same sidewalks we had for years, people were willing to come out of their homes and engage in conversations, because I think the isolation was just getting everybody. And that was out of my comfort zone <laughs> because I'm an introvert and Teresa's an extrovert. So when we walk, I always wanted to just keep going. <laughs> but naturally, she would stop and we start talking to people and finding out who they are. And it got a little more comfortable for me to be able to do that. We went from walking by homes and just saying hi, and maybe then we'd learn a first name or we'd learn a dog's name or a kid's name. And it was just, it was just such a blessing because it was like, um, you know, we could encourage and build into people, but we were blessed immensely. I mean, we got to meet some widows and widowers, bring meals. Um, I think it's given me a newfound purpose. I mean, like I said, I, I can't be as hands-on with people as I was, um, you know, being a nurse, bedside, taking care of them physically. So it's just given me something else I can do. They're an image of God, and they are people that deserve as much acknowledgement as we walk and talk as anybody else. And it's just nice to be able to reach out to other people. You know, God is, loves all people, and you know, many of them maybe, you know, we don't know them very well, or we don't know their story. But um, you know, if we treat them kindly and with respect, you know, we may we may be planting seeds that we don't even know. I was uh, sitting out back this morning having a cup of coffee, and the Lord just put so much on my mind to pray about, and so I'm I'm praying about this hurricane that's going to hit, and that the Lord would, would save people. And I'm praying about what's going on in Afghanistan, the 13 servicemen and women that were killed this week and the Afghan citizens who were killed and that he would thwart evil and uh, praying for the Sitterlet and Davis families as they experience this great loss and praying for my friends at Westside who are having a baptism day today that the Lord would bring many people to know him and follow him in baptism. And I'm sitting there praying and Rick and Teresa walk by outside of my fence, praying for the neighborhood. And I just love that they see people created in the image of God. I didn't know that's what they did when they walked. I see them walk every day. I didn't know that's what they did. And so thanks, Rick and Teresa, for sharing your story. 
In July, I was at the National Museum of American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. It's a fantastic new museum on the mall. And my family's getting ready to leave. You, you leave from the basement, and you take an escalator up, and you, you get ready to leave. And my family's ahead of me. They leave ahead of me, and I'm behind them, and I'm pushing a stroller towards the escalator, and a security guard, just a great guy, stops me and says, hey, sir, uh, we have rules. You can't take the stroller on the escalator. And I said to him, well, that rule is for those people who don't know what they're doing. And he was awesome. He goes, I know. He goes, I know it's for those people but I can't let you do it. I'll get in trouble, so I need you to take the elevator. And so I went to the elevator, and I pushed, it, pushed the straw in the elevator. And all the way up, I'm thinking, those people, they don't know what they're doing, and they cost me what I want to do, right? And as I reflected on that, I realized I label people all the time. Embarrassingly, I label those people all the time. And I thought about this like coaches I've had in the past. I label those coaches who didn't coach the way I wanted or played me the way I thought I should be played. Or teachers who've taught my kids like those teachers didn't do it the way I thought they should do it. Or those people who don't think like me and think differently than me because I'm right. Or those people who live a different lifestyle than me. I talked to a lady this week that said, I struggle with those people who have bullied and picked on my kids in the past. We struggle with those people. We all have those people in our lives, and they might be individuals. They might be entire groups of people. And if you've noticed in the last few years, this has taken off to unprecedented levels in our culture. Pastor John Tyson in New York City writes this. You can follow this quote on the screen. It's very convicting. Given the role of the media today, the polarization of our politics, and the presence of a 24-hour income-producing news cycle, we are, we are told who is worthy of respect. We are told who our enemies are and why they present a savage threat to us. Things are not presented to us in a fair, nuanced, or civil way. Hate is being cultivated one social media post at a time. Each 15-minute soundbite or meme is training us to release our hate on our enemies. The trickle effect over time poisons our hearts, allowing contempt and bitterness to seep in and training us to misidentify our enemies. And if we're not careful, followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can be more spiritually formed by the news media and social media and politics than by God's word in the way of Jesus. So to name where we are in society, where we are today, if you're following in your notes, we live in a time of labeling people over loving people. We label people over loving people, but this is such a time for the church, the people of God. This is such a cultural moment for the people of God to shine like a beacon of light, a city on a hill that looks like Jesus and looks different than the world around us. And that's why we're taking four weeks this fall in a series called Imago Day. because if you're following in your notes, we're learning to see everyone everywhere created in the image of God. We have such an opportunity to be distinct. 
And as I've listened to the first two messages Steve has given, I've realized this four-week series is all about intentionally training ourselves. It's a retraining of the way we see people, the way Jesus sees people created in the image of God. And I've noticed what I've been convicted by is seeing people this way, creating the image of God is not my default setting. I slip into judging and labeling those people. And I need these reminders and these challenges to see people, everyone, everywhere created in the image of God. So today we're going to see how, if you're following on your notes, God calls us to choose love over labels. He calls us to do that. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke is in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way back in your Bible. It's the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black Bible in the seat rack in front of you. And Luke chapter 10 can be found on page 843 of those Bibles. But I want to encourage you to have God's word open in front of you, either on a device or uh, in hard copy, so you can follow along and take some notes. We're going to look at one of the most well-known stories Jesus ever told. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I don't know any better story in the Bible where Jesus makes the point of love over labels. Theologian Alistair Begg has a great quote. He says, those of us who know the Bible story well can suffer from knowing it well. And this is such a familiar story. And I'm praying today that God will give us eyes to see and ears to hear the main point of Jesus breaking, demolishing our paradigms about how we see and label people. So our story begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Would you read this with me in the first gray box on your notes? An expert in the law of Moses stood up and asked Jesus a question to see what he would say. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We need to pause here for just a few minutes and talk about the context of this story because the audience that this story is presented to will lay the foundation for the story that Jesus is going to tell. So there's an expert in the law of Moses who most likely belongs to a group of people called the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees were originally the good guys of the Jewish faith. They were the good guys. They they formed 200 years before Jesus because they saw their culture being influenced by the Greeks to the point where Jews were losing their distinctiveness and losing their influence as the people of God. And, And this group of Pharisees had a passion to see their faith passed on to the next generation. But as is true with many movements, Their theology began to change over time, and the Pharisees took observant Judaism to a place that did not honor God with much of what they did. So if you're following in your notes, in their zeal to honor God, the Pharisees gradually created an insider-outsider theology. God's people were to be a blessing to all nations. We read about that in Genesis. They are to bless all nations. But but the Pharisees began to make distinctions about who was on the inside of God's favor and who was on the outside of God's favor. And they would say these outsiders were people God did not like and could not easily be forgiven or accepted. 
And so people put into those categories included people with birth defects, chronic diseases, scorned occupations, physical limitations, and certain classes and ethnicities of people like Gentiles, which we all are, and Samaritans. And the fact that those people were in the condition or state they were in or the ethnicity they were born into proved that God did not like them. And so these Pharisees concluded that if God doesn't like you, we're not going to like you either. If you're following in your notes, what this distorted thinking led to is that my neighbor is someone just like me. Just like me. And for the Pharisees, that would have been a Jewish person. That's my neighbor. And I still believe this insider-outsider mindset affects us today. Miles McPherson is an author and pastor. He wrote a book called The Third Option, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. It's a book that Pastor Steve did in his book club this summer. And in his book, he says, we all sort people into groups that are either like me or not like me. And then he provides some characteristics that describe this type of thinking. We're all going to understand the first couple. First, we subconsciously assume that the like me group is better than the not like me group right? I'm better and I'm smarter than people who don't know how to take their baby on an escalator while strapped into a stroller. I am. Once we identify, he goes on, he says, once we identify the groups like me, we tend to apply an in-group bias that sometimes includes the subconscious tendency to give preference to people we perceive as being part of our group. I think all of that it is pretty understandable and makes sense. Then he says something fascinating, and this was new that helped me tremendously. He says, after we've labeled people, we all have a tendency to perceive members of an out-group as generally similar to one another and members of our in-group as unique. People in our in-group are unique, but people in our out-groups, since we can only see them from the outside, we tend to believe all people in those groups are the same. So we generalize our opinions of those not like me, and we don't give our out-groups the opportunity to show us who, we, who they really are because we've already made up our minds about them based almost entirely on no personal experience or personal information. This is one of the best descriptions I've heard of where we are as a culture in a country today in-groups, and out-groups. So before we go any further, the, the church is not immune to this. We live in the culture. So let's hold up a mirror and identify if there are any places in our lives where we fall into this insider-outsider bias. Right? What labels do we put on people? And I'm going to list a number of potential in-groups or out-groups just to expand our imaginations and see how we struggle with this more than we know. This may step on some toes and make you uncomfortable. That's okay. I'm going to ask you, don't get defensive. Just pay attention to what God might be revealing to you as you hear some of these. So who are the individuals or groups that you're less comfortable being around? The individuals or groups that you have less grace with, less patience with? Who do you have more positive assumptions about, right? Some benign ones might be sports teams, 
my sports team, your sports team. Although if you watch the NFL, there's fights in the stands at every game now. So it's a little more than surface level. I thought about this, Star Wars versus Star Trek. In groups and out groups, one's better than the other. What church do you go to? Do we perceive ourselves as better? What school do you go to? Inside of those schools, if you're a student, man, there are in-groups and out-groups of athletes and musicians and smart kids and artists, just to name a few. Are there gender out-groups in your life? You look more favorably upon a certain gender than another. Or or what about an age-specific in-group or out-group? You think more highly of younger or older people or racial or ethnic out-groups. What about conservative or liberal outgroups? What about those who watch CNN or Fox News in groups or outgroups? What about Republican or Democrat outgroups? Do you believe that people that are in one of those groups is less than you? What about those who choose to wear a mask versus those who choose not to wear a mask? What about those who support vaccinations versus those who choose not to get vaccinated? What about those who believe we should open our borders to Afghan refugees fleeing persecution and those who believe in closed borders? And the list goes on and on and on. I just want to paint this picture that we do this all the time. We think more highly of our in-groups and look down on our out-groups. So if you're following in your notes, we just need to ask ourselves this question. What are the in-groups and out-groups in my life? Is there anywhere you've labeled people and there's a bias that causes you to think you are better or you're deserving of more honor or where you have made generalizations about other people? We've all done it. And that's why this teaching of Jesus is so important and so relevant today. And so the story begins with a Pharisee asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 26, Jesus responds, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, the Pharisee answered in verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at him. And in verse 28, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, a humble response from this teacher of the law would have been, Jesus, I've tried to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind, and I can't even come close. How do I do this? I'm a failure who keeps on failing. How do I give myself fully to God? But we're told in verse 29, the Pharisee comes back at Jesus with another question because he wants to make himself feel better. So would you read the second gray box on your notes with me? The Pharisee said, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The the Pharisee is wanting to determine who classifies as a neighbor so that he can make sure he's doing enough to inherit eternal life. This is key. He's basically saying, I don't have to love everybody because God doesn't love everybody. So who's my neighbor? Some translations say that this guy was a lawyer, and lawyers don't ask questions they don't already know the answer to. So we fully expected Jesus' answer to be, your neighbor is someone just like you, Jewish. And in reply, Jesus says, let me tell you a story. 
And we pick up in verse 30, where we'll take it one or two verses at a time and then add some context to the story as we go. Verse 30 says, in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. The first character in the story is anyone. It's anyone. It's any person, no nationalities, no political party, no ethnicity. It's anyone. Jesus will not define or give parameters to who our neighbors are. He could have picked a man or a woman, but because a woman would never travel this road alone, he picked a man. So people would have been on the edge of their seats. If you're in the crowd listening to Jesus, you're on the edge of your seat because this road was a familiar road. There's one road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's 17 miles long. It's very steep and it's dangerous. There are hills and caves and crevices where bandits and robbers were known to hide. And I want to put a picture of this ancient road on the screen just so you can get an idea of it. It is called the Pass of Blood or the red road, because so many people got jumped and killed here that it was named for their blood. So a man was walking down this red road. Verse 30 continues, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then verse 31 continues, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Priests were the men who oversaw the holy activities of God at the temple in Jerusalem. Every year, priests throughout Israel would go to Jerusalem for two weeks to serve their duty, and and then they would go home. And so this guy's probably walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he lived after serving in the temple for two weeks. And when the priest saw the man, the, the word literally means he walked the opposite way. I want to put that picture back up just for a second because I want to make this point. On a five-foot road, that road is not wide. On a five or six-foot wide road, this priest saw the guy. He couldn't miss him. He saw him. And then verse 32 goes on and says this, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And a Levite is a priest's assistant, who also knows what the priest knows, that they are to love God and love their neighbor. And when they came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. Same word, opposite way. So if you're following in your notes, the priest and Levite saw the man and did nothing. Saw the man and did nothing. Jesus has set this story up. He's a master storyteller. And he set this story up where the people sensed a progression in the story now. So it started with a priest and then it moved to a Levite. And now Jesus' Jewish audience would have anticipated that the hero is going to be an observant Jew who will next arrive on the scene. But Jesus wanted to blow up their paradigms of neighbor. He wanted to erase their labels. And so in verse 31, would you, 33, would you read this with me on the screen? Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. No one listening in Jesus' day would have expected that. Nobody. He would have just shocked them because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other. And this hatred went back over 400 years and centered around racial and ethnic purity. 
Because while the Jews kept their purity during the Babylonian captivity, the Samaritans lost their purity by intermarrying with enemy invaders. And so the worst thing you could possibly do to a Jewish person was to call them a Samaritan. In Luke 9, right before our story today, James and John actually asked Jesus if they can call down fire from heaven to kill the Samaritans. Even Jesus' 12 friends label these people. The religious leaders in Jesus' day had a quote that said, it is better to dine with a pig than a Samaritan. And they would finish some of their prayers with these words, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. There's some labeling going on here. And Jesus says, if you're following in your notes, the Samaritan saw the man and had compassion on him. He saw the man and had compassion on him. And this word compassion, it means to be moved to the foundation of your being. It's the word most used to describe the emotional state of Jesus in the New Testament. Theologian Frederick Beekner describes what it means to have compassion in this way. I want to put this on the screen because this quote is beautiful. He says, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. Wow. I I read that description of compassion and all I can do is say, Lord, I don't have that. And I can't do that on my own. Give me a compassion for people the way Jesus had compassion for people. Because our world is lacking in compassion today and the people of God need to rise up and lead the way in this. So this hated Samaritan, we're told in verse 34, crowd is still shocked. If you're following in your Bibles, in verse 34, it says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This isn't just minimal compassion. This is extravagant love. Jesus gets done telling the story, and then he asked the Pharisee a final question in verse 36. If you're following in your Bibles, he asked this question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So catch this, catch this. If you're following in your notes, Jesus changed the question completely. Jesus changes the question from who is my neighbor to who can I be a neighbor to? Jesus says, don't ask who is my neighbor. Be done with the labels. Be done. Instead, ask who can I be a neighbor to? Jesus asked who the neighbor was. And in verse 37, we're told the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. If you're following in your notes, the neighbor was the one who showed mercy. He was the one who showed mercy. And mercy, so compassion is this feeling. It's feeling something to the depth of our being. And mercy is the fruit of compassion. Mercy is the taking action on compassion. 
The compassion of Jesus leads to action because love is an action. And Jesus finishes the story by telling the Pharisee, go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. Go and be a neighbor. Destroy your paradigm of labeling people and go about your way seeing everyone everywhere created in the image of God and show them compassion, mercy, and love. And that's what Jesus still says today. So as we wrap up, I want to provide several applications as we train ourselves to see people the way Jesus saw people. I said it earlier, but these four weeks provide an opportunity to train ourselves, to practice seeing people differently. So that's what this is. It's a practice of seeing people differently. How can we do that? So here's some homework for you. First, if you're following in your notes, acknowledge our in-group, out-group bias. Let's acknowledge it. We all have it. Write it down. Do an inventory. Spend just a little bit of time this week. Who are those people in your life? Who are they? Name it. Name it. We need to acknowledge it if we ever want to try to deal with it. So we acknowledge it. In in an act of repentance, what we do after acknowledging it, if you're following in your notes, number two is we rename those people. We rename those people as dearly loved people created in the image of God. We rename them. And if you get stuck here, because this is hard. I'm not, I'm not being flippant about this, that this is easy stuff to do. If you struggle with this temptation to categorize people, then let two questions help you through the stuckness. Two questions. Think of that person or that group that you've acknowledged and then ask this question, who created them and who died for them? Who created them and who died for them? Because those questions are going to push us to remind us of someone's value and importance to God. Take an inventory. Acknowledge our in-groups and out-groups. Rename those people as dearly loved children of God and then practice, practice compassion, move to mercy, practice being a neighbor in the way Jesus told us in this story. So if you're following in your notes, number three, we move from compassion to mercy and we lead with love, compassion, and mercy. Right? Jesus said, go and do likewise. As we give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission, we have to lead with love. Please hear me say this. Friends, followers of Jesus, everything is riding on this. Everything is riding on followers of Jesus, seeing everyone everywhere created in the image of God. Everything is riding on us loving people over labeling people. And the reason I say that is because Jesus said it, right? In the gospel of John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said this. Would you read this on the screen with me? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's just read that one more time. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It didn't say if you label one another. 
One of the greatest ways we can shine the light of Jesus into this dark world and toxic culture is by loving people. Loving people allows us to develop authentic relationships. It allows us to bring a little bit of the kingdom of God to earth, and it may lead us to an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. It's like the old adage says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this doesn't mean, we've said this, this doesn't mean we don't have convictions. It doesn't mean we don't stand for what we believe. It's just that I haven't seen much fruit come from labeling people. I just haven't seen much fruit from treating people with an in-group, out-group bias. The Bible even says this, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So if you're wondering how to practice this, how do we lead with love, compassion, and mercy? Where do we start? Let me suggest two things. Let me, let me suggest this. And this is a little bit different of a suggestion than we usually talk about. If this applies to you, then I pray that you hear this. Stop watching, listening, or reading your echo chamber of news, social media, and politics. Whatever side you're on, I don't care what side you're on, whatever side you're on, that side dehumanizes, devalues, and labels the other side, and this stuff is forming us more than we can imagine. We are being formed more by this than by the word of God in some situations. We need to be careful what we fill our minds with because if what we're filling our minds with doesn't help us look like Jesus and push us to love and compassion and mercy, then we need to unplug it or unsubscribe from it. Friends, I am passionate about this. We are being formed in an unchristian way by what we read and watch. That may be your first step. You just need a Sabbath from it. You need a Sabbath from it. Then, what would it look like to get proximate to someone not like you? This is the same question Steve asked last week, same homework. He said, what would it look like if you showed hospitality to one person that was a stranger that you didn't know? Same question. Let me ask you, who does the Lord put on your path? I don't know if that's at work. I don't know if it's at the gym or a sporting event that your kid is in. Um, maybe it's at school. I don't know where that is, but where does the Lord put people on your path that may not be like you or that you have considered part of an outgroup and students and teachers? I just want to talk to you for a second, just a second. You may have more influence in this room than anybody else in shining the light of Jesus for people to see in the hallways in the lunchroom. Oh my goodness, the lunchroom. In the classroom. Can you look for people that look different than you or that you've labeled those people? They're either struggling or they're left out. Where can you meet a need? You have the opportunity to show love, compassion, and mercy, and it won't go unnoticed. It won't. You can shine the light of Jesus right where you are. So Cherry Hills, Let's be a people who choose love over labels. Let's be neighbors who show compassion and mercy because everyone we come across this week is created in the image of God. Everyone, everywhere. Amen.
Do you pray with me, God? We all do this. We all do it. And this is not an easy habit to break. We cannot do this on our own. We need your help. And we are so thankful for the promise you give us in Romans 5.5 that says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So God, we're asking right now, would you help us love people? Would you help us love people, especially those who are different, who we've labeled as those people? who we don't agree with or see eye to eye with? Would your people, would your church be known by their love? And we pray that many people, many people would see that and want to know more about this Savior. They'd want to know more about why we're different than this culture. So God, it's a prayer that you are willing to answer. Help us love people. We can only do it in your power. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.